Hey, this is Pastor Chris with Believer City Church. Listen, I want to thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to this message on today. It's my prayer that something said will encourage you to believe in God, believe in yourself, and believe in others. And with that being said, let's jump straight into the message. Listen, if you don't mind, I want to jump into the Word of God on today. Uh, If you can grab your Bibles uh, and go with me to Matthew chapter 2, I want to read a couple of verses for you. On today, matter of fact, I'll just read two verses for you. Uh, and while you're looking for that, if you could just repeat after me and say, Father God, Father God I'm, here I'm here today seeking a word from you. Word from so you. Open, my ears open my ears so that I can hear. Touch my heart so that I will feel. So I will and renew in me a right mind so that I will do. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, I'm also going to read verse 2. When you got it, say, I got it. Amen. If you don't have it, don't worry. You can follow along on the screen. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. This is what the Word of the Lord says for the people of God. Uh, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. For a moment today, I want to title this message simply, Worship, with a subtitle, A Gift Worth Giving. Worship a gift worth giving. You may be seated on today. Holidays are a great time for me and my family. Me and my wife, we usually spend uh, Thanksgiving with my family and Christmas with her family. We've kind of always made that uh, distinction, so we always make sure everybody's family get at least one major holiday. At times, we try to just bring everybody to our house so that we can all fellowship together because even though we're two separate families, because of our marriage, we're united as one family. And so we oftentimes try to bring each other together. I'm not a real big gamer, but for some reason, my wife has this spirit of games. Every time she gets people together, she wants to play a game. That's what she does. And, And so in the spirit of holiday, knowing that today is the Sunday that we worship and celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ leading up to Christmas. Uh, I want to play a game. I want to play a game. I want to kick off my sermon with a game. And this game is simply going to be called Christmas Trivia. Christmas Trivia. I see some people looking at me right now like, don't call my name. Don't call my name. Deori is already standing up, so I'm going to call Deori. Come on, Deori. (laughs) So Deoria can come, and Cam, you come. Y'all face off. Deoria and Cam can face off. We're going to see who has, I don't got the buzzer. Uh, we're going to stand right here. Well, back in the day, it uh, used to be when y'all were squaring off with each other, y'all was going to fight, you would tell somebody, whoever the baddest hit my hand first. And, and so that's what we're going to do. Don't abuse my hand. Okay. But once I ask the question, if you think you got the answer, I want you to hit my hand hand first. It's just a little Christmas trivia, just a little Christmas trivia. Uh, and so the first question is, where was Jesus born? Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. That's wrong. Survey says, <laughs> and yeah. all right, so go for it. Yeah. Bethlehem. So Cam, I'm so sorry. Excuse me, God. I brought, I brought some things with me. It's okay, Cam. It's okay. It's okay. I don't have it for you, but I do have it for you. So she, she got the first answer right. Cam, you, you can be seated, or you can think, I'll let you stay if you want to go against another opponent, but she gets to choose your opponent. So you get to choose her opponent. Who are you going to pick? <laughs> it has to be at least balanced. Anybody, but uh, no children. I say Deacon, Dan. Deacon Dan, come on, Deacon Dan, come on down. <laughs> I ain't got you looking like a fool. You gonna pay attention in Bible study on Wednesday night? <laughs> All right, here. 
Same rules applies. If you think you're the baddest and you got the answer first, hit my hand. Go away. Who? Who was king when Jesus was born? Herod. Oh. She got you. She got you. Okay. Same rules applies. Same rules applies. Okay. So you won. You get to pick a final candidate to go against Deacon Dan. No children. First lady. No, that's not fair. Uh-uh. She, she's a. Richard. Richard. Oh, come on, Richard. <laughs> All right, so we're going to see how this goes. See if I got to, let's see what question. I got about 10 questions. This is going to be my last one. Let me see. I'm, uh, go to who? Genesis. This ain't got nothing to do with Christmas, Christmas trivia. Let me see what I want to give you off my spreadsheet. Let me give you something, give you something difficult. This is going to be a two-part question. Two-part question. So, first question is, where, what in the world is going on? <laughs> All right, question is this. Where did Joseph and Mary go when Jesus was born? To uh, uh, the, the town of, uh, um, the, oh, the town of you uh, already got me twisted with the town. <laughs> they went to the, um, the uh, manger. Well, I mean, well, they went to the manger. When Jesus was born, listen to the question. So Jesus had already been born. So he's not in Bethlehem. Where did they go after Jesus was born? Five, four, three, two, one. To the end. So you, you, you screamed out to the end too. So you, Jesus, Joseph, and Mary went to Egypt. After, no, the end was in Bethlehem. They went to Egypt. Okay, so, yeah, tied, zero, zero. Very good tie. (laughs) So, second question. Here it is. Second part of the question. You got to get this one right. What, all right, what happened? Really? Hands to your side. (laughs) I feel sorry for my polar hand. What happened to make... (laughs) <laughs> what was the sign for Joseph to return? Um, uh, dream. He got a dream. What happened in the dream? Um, it was something specific that had to happen. Five, four, three. That God told him something. God told him to... Um, I'm going to put go this in my... To his father. Go, go to his father. No, no. no. I'm going to put this in my fuel tank. Well, and one I'm, more. I'm, not for you. Just <laughs> <laughs> one more. So, so what ends up happening, they fleed. Why? Because Herod was after them. And so when they got word from the angel of the Lord that Herod had died, it was an opportunity for them to return back to Bethlehem. Yeah, it was. You can enjoy it. <laughs> Still tied. Zero, zero. Come on. Can we give everybody a hand of a, a, a hand, uh, applause saying thank you for them participating? So listen. So the reason why I did that is because every year, churches all across our great country, we come together on this particular Sunday before Christmas, and we spend a whole lot of time preaching the same message over and over. Or We have these great Christmas plays that articulate what had happened on what we believe that has happened on this day, on this day that we choose to represent the birth of Christ. And so I wanted to take that time because God has laid something different on my heart. It still applies with the principle of Christmas, but something a little bit more substance, a little bit more nutrition that we need to hold on to because we know that Christmas is supposed to be about the, the birth of Jesus Christ. Amen? We know that. We know that Jesus was born and a manger, and, and an inn, where there, because there was no room in the inn, so he was basically in a barn, an outhouse, and uh, Mary and Joseph gave birth to him there, right? We know those things. We know that after Jesus was born, that he left there, 
And uh, Joseph and Mary took him down to Egypt so they can find safe haven because Herod was out to kill Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was supposed to be the king of the Jews. Herod took that as a threat. We know when, when the Magi did not come back to report to Herod where Jesus was, we know that what ends up happening is Herod gets upset, he gets frustrated, and he takes the opportunity to kill everybody he can possibly kill that's ages two and under. This is why Jesus had to leave, because his life would have ended before it even began. We didn't want that to happen. So Jesus leaves. We see and we know all of these things happen. And then we understand that Joseph and Mary return because the angel of the Lord uh, shows up to them and says they can come back. When they come back, we know that what ends up, uh, before they come back, we know that what ends up happening is that the Magi, these wise men, come to meet them and they bring them three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We know all of these great things that happens. But today what I want us to do is I want us to take a unique approach and I want us to look at this scripture, look at this word, and I want us to look at it from a unique perspective that oftentimes is overlooked. I want to look through the eyes of the Magi. I want to look through the eyes of the Magi because sometimes we get caught up in the manger scene. Sometimes we get caught up... uh, and the star. Sometimes we get caught up in so many things and we forget that everybody that was present in this time had an a, a opportunity to make an impact. And one of the reasons why I want to deal with the Magi is because they were wise men. The Magi were known as wise men. We also call them three kings. We, uh, we given them these unique titles, but uh, I believe if they were wise men, then they had something wise to say. I believe that there was something wise, there was an element of wisdom that was left there that we needed to uh, hold on to. And so I wanted to begin to look into that. And so looking from their perspective, we know that the, the Magi, they come from the east. I believe studies begin to lead us to understand that they possibly uh, came from the, the places of Arabia, Persia, and India. Uh, and when they came, they came bearing these three gifts. This word Magi comes from the Greek and Latin word that stand magus and as a result of it it represents nothing less than wisdom and so uh, we are uh, led to believe that they are wise men because they come from this area of wisdom and so I want to deal with them because I believe there's something that they have to say to us and the first thing that I believe that they have to say to us and they show us uh, through studying the text is that a sign from God deserves a service from you. That's one of the first things that we need to come to understand on this Christmas Sunday, that when you see a sign from God, it naturally deserves a service from you. What is a sign from God? A sign from God is any act that is performed by God that is hard to explain by man and that you can only give God the credit for. That is a sign from God. In other words, when your bank account is on zero and your gas light is on red E and you ain't got nothing to get in that tank and you got to go 10 miles up the road and somehow you make it 10 miles there and 10 miles back, that is a sign from God. Somehow God has given you the ability to ride on fumes because you don't know how many fumes you got. You don't know how you're going to get from point A to point B. There's things in our lives that God does over and over that we don't give him credit for. And so as a result of it, we forget our responsibility because when God shows up in our life, when God shows out in our lives, it requires, it should automatically trigger an act of service from us. Uh, The wise men show us that this act of service is nothing less than worship. If you don't believe me, look in the text, because in verse 2, it says, Where is he who was born the king of the Jews? Catch this, for we saw, in other words, they see a sign. We saw his star in the east, and guess what they do? Because they saw a star in the east, they do what? They come to worship him. They come to worship him. When they see a sign from God, they do what? They come to worship. A sign from God requires an act of service from you. What is your act of service? It's nothing hard. It's nothing complicated. But for some reason, we tend to fail at doing it. And that sign, that service that you owe God is simply worship. Worship is the greatest gift that you could ever give God. 
It's really the only gift that he desires from you is worship. The Bible says those who worship him shall do what? Worship him in spirit and in truth. And so I want to make sure that you understand the value of worship because when we look at worship as our service, we will understand that worship is our way of acknowledging who God is to us. Worship is not just about singing and clapping your hands and dancing. That, those are acts of worship. But true worship acknowledges who God is to you. That's why we can call a song a worship song. Why? Because that song acknowledges who God is to you. When somebody lifts up their hands and says, thank you for providing a way for me, you are worshiping. Why? Because you are acknowledging who God is to you. When God shows up in your life, when God gives you a sign that he is God, that he is a provider, that he is a guider, that he is a, a deliverer, a way maker. When God shows you that he's all that he is, then you should have a heart to say, Lord, I worship you. I worship you. I'll give you everything that I could possibly give you. You think about this gift thing on Christmas. We get so caught up in what am I getting, but the truth of the matter is it's not about what you're getting because you've already got everything that you deserve to get. The truth is what are you going to give? What are you going to give? How are you going to say thank you for God just being who you are? The Bible teaches us that our greatest service that we could possibly ever submit unto God is worship. I want you to write this down. I don't know if, you, if I got it on the screen, but I want you to understand this and try to picture this when you think about worship. How does worship form? The way that worship is formed is, is simply understanding that there is a visual, a visual acknowledgement that pairs up with a mental acceptance that produces a physical and spiritual response. When you think about worship, there is a visual acknowledgement and a mental acceptance. And these two things come together. Let's deal with that first of all. When we look at the Magi, they did what? They saw a star, and that star was a sign from God. They saw it, and because they visually saw it, the next thing that they had to do was mentally accept it. Why, why is it so important that these two things come together? Because some of us see the acts of God and what God is doing in our lives, but we don't mentally accept that it's God. And say, so I want to make sure you understand something, because if you see God working in your life, but you don't claim and give God the glory for it, that means that you don't believe that God has done what it is. This is how Big Mama used to say, boy, God has covered you. You don't know he, he protected you on, on roads. He kept you from seen and unseen danger. This, this is what they, they knew something. They, they, they realized that it, it was something that God was doing. You took for granted that you made it from point A to point B. But the truth of the matter, it was God that covered you. It was a reason why people stopped and prayed before they made long road trips because they knew that nothing was promised to them. It's, it's been strange because I, I, I told my wife the more that I've studied the Bible, the more that I realize that I don't have to wake up the next day. And so every night I go to sleep and I, and I tell my wife, listen, if I don't wake up tomorrow, I want you to know that I love you. I thank you for everything. And she tells me, listen, stop saying that. Now, this is not the way that I want to go to sleep at night. But the reality is tomorrow is not promised. It's foolish of me to go to bed expecting to wake up the next day. Because the truth is it's not guaranteed. It doesn't have to happen. But so many of us take things for granted. And so when I lay my head on my pillow at night and I begin to reflect and ask myself, did I do everything that God wanted me to do? Let me, have I told my wife I loved her? Am I closing this day off and I'm okay with going on if God calls me on? It's my opportunity to worship God and say, God, I thank you for what you've done. And if you don't do anything else, I'm good. You've done enough. We have to get to a point where we're able to live in the now. And not worry about the later. But, you know, oftentimes we're young people. We think that we have it. We have all the time. Because mom and daddy is growing up to be old. We think that old is guaranteed to us. But the truth is, it isn't. True worship requires you to see something visually and begin to process it mentally. 
And when you see something visually and you can process it mentally that this was truly an act of God, then what naturally should happen, it should create a response that is triggered in the physical, but also in the spiritual. When you see who God is and what God has done, and you've acknowledged him for what, who he is and what he's done, then your behavior in the physical should change. And as a result of it, your spiritual should also line up. I want to make sure that you understand what I'm saying. Uh, all this December, there was no gifts up under the Christmas tree. No gifts up under the Christmas tree at my house. My Madison wakes up the other day and she sees a couple of new gifts under the Christmas tree. She comes in the room and, Daddy, is those for me or is those for Mommy? She, she's excited about those gifts because she wants to know if something that has shown up on the tree is for her. And when she finds out they're for her, because initially she thought they were for Mommy and she was sad, but when she finds out they're for her, she begins to get excited. She's jumping around the house and cheering. Why? Because she sees something visually. She has processed it mentally that those belong to me. And as a result of it, she has a physical expression that says, I'm glad about it. Can I help you understand something? You shouldn't knock anybody else's praise. When people lift their hands, when people shed their tears, when people stomp their feet, when people take off running, is it something about what they've seen and what they've processed that has led them to understand, I got to give you praise. Worship is not something that should be restricted. Worship is the gift that's worth giving. The Magi understood this. This is why when they seen the star, they said, listen, this has to be the sign that Jesus is coming. You know, the prophecy that has already been foretold, man, we have to do something. And so as a result of it, they physically get up and they just begin to walk. And they says, listen, we got to go find them. And when they come before Herod, they, they, their question is simply this, where is he that has been born to be the king of Jews? Because we, we've traveled, we've come from near and far, as a result of it, we, we've come to do one thing. We didn't come to ask him for anything. We didn't come to demand anything. We just came to worship. How often do you wake up with a heart that says, Lord, I just want to worship you? I, I believe some of us wake up in the morning Mad that we got to go to work the next day. And so your anger doesn't allow you to worship. Some of us are disappointed about the fact of the life that we're living. And so our disappointment doesn't allow you to worship. True worship requires you to be content with who you are and where you are. This is what brings us to our second principle because true worship requires true humility. True worship requires true humility. I want you to see what happens in the text. Look at verse 10 and 11 of chapter 2 with me. Verse 10 and 11 reads like this. Uh, now what has happened already, they have already left Herod. They know Herod is up to no good, and they have gone forth, and they stumble upon Jesus Christ uh, in the arms of Mary. This is where the Bible picks up. It says, now when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Before I even go any further, I want y'all to know that pastor didn't make up this visual acknowledgement, mental acceptance, uh, par par partnered up with a physical and spiritual act of expression. Because in verse 10, it says what? They saw the star. And as a result of them seeing and accepting, they do what? They rejoiced exceedingly. That's that physical and spiritual manifesting itself again. They're thankful. They're seeing everything happen. In other words, when you leave here today and you see a sign from God, if you don't do anything else except open your mouth and say thank you, you have to give God the worship that he deserves. You have to give him the gratitude. You have to show him that you appreciate everything that he has done. And so when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. Verse 11, this is where it happens. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. Catch this. And they fell to the ground and worshiped him. 
They walked in the house, they saw the child in the arms of Mary, and instantly they fell to the ground and worshiped them. This is why I say true worship requires true humility. Many of us can't worship God because we have not come to the point of being humble. And the reason why we have not come to the point of being humble, having a spirit of humility, is because we think somebody, and not just somebody, we think God owes us something. And so when we come before the presence of God, instead of falling to our knees and just saying, God, I thank you for giving me the breath. I thank you for the life. I thank you for the bed. It may be a lonely bed sometimes, but God, I thank you for the bed. But instead, when we don't come to God in that manner just to say thank you, we're not humble. And so what happens, we, where we should be coming to God head bowed, prostrated on the floor, we coming to God, listen, homie, I need you to drop out. I need my light bill paid, God. I need my man. I need my woman, God. We coming to God face to face like you owe me. So I remember one time I tried. And listen, I'm glad my daddy here. I remember one time I tried. to. I don't know how I smelled myself that day. I tried one day to walk chest high, straight up, and go to my father. I don't even remember what it was, but my tone just wasn't right. My tone wasn't right. I know it in my spirit today. And, and here I am saying something to him, and I, I had to be crazy because I was a little small, 110 dude. And I said something to my father, and he just looked at me and said, boy, you better take that bass out of your voice. <laughs> and, then, and then he followed it up with, I brought you in this world. I'll take you out. It wasn't out of anger. It wasn't out of frustration. It wasn't, it wasn't out of disappointment. It was simply out of the understanding that I don't care who you are, where you are, what you're doing, you will respect who I am. This is why many of us struggle to worship God. It's because we don't have a humility that allows us to have common sense to respect who God is. They walk through the door. They see Mary holding the child. The star has aligned. Everything is perfect. They don't ask no questions. They just drop and begin to worship. They didn't talk about how their feet was hurting. They didn't talk about how Herod tried to trick them. They didn't bring all their problems. They didn't bring all that drama. They came to worship. Sometimes I wonder why people come into church and they're all so sad and depressed. And what I realize is because they lack the spirit of worship. It's easy for me to come into the church and rejoice because I know that I'm coming here to encourage other people. And in order to encourage other people, guess what? That was at some point in time that I had to be encouraged myself. So when the worship team can't encourage you because that's not their job, who encourages you? God. When pastor don't have the word for you that Sunday, it just didn't hit your spirit like you wanted it to. Who encourages you? God. God is the one individual that no matter when it is, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and even on Sunday, will show up to encourage you. Because just when you thought it was over, somehow you make it through. But in order for this to be a reality to you, you have to understand that if I'm going to offer God true worship, it requires me to have true humility. In other words, even when God isn't doing anything for you, you should still worship. Christ was a child at that time. He was not performing his miracles. Just him being there was a miracle. Just God being present in their life was a miracle. When is just God being a part of your life going to be good enough? Did you forget that at one point in time before Christ came into the scene, that there was a separation, that you were depressed, that you were broke, you were lonely, you had no real friends. People act like they friends, your friends, but they talked about you, stabbed you in your back. Did you forget that time who you used to be before you knew Jesus? Yeah, I know some of us, we act like we hit the lottery. We change our phone numbers, everything. We just, we forget everybody. Delete old Facebook pages and start a whole new page. Because 
we feel that now that we have Christ, we have it all together. And I, I want to help you. That's a good feeling to have. That's a good, good feeling to have. But the truth of the matter is that now that you have Christ, you're getting it all together. Every day what you wake up, things are getting better. This is why the old saints used to say, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. How does it get sweeter? It gets sweeter because I get to know him more and more. We grow every day with Christ. But in order for that to take place, you have to reach a point where you are so humble that you know God owes you nothing, but I owe him everything. It's that point in your life when you realize God owes you nothing, but you owe him everything, that you begin to change the way you think about things. You try to stop getting away with sin, because that's what happens. Many of us try to find a way to get away with sin. But when you realize that the breath that you're breathing is only because he gave it to you, it puts you in a place where you're like, man, let me honor him a little bit more. Let me make sure I'll, I'll do what he's asking me to do. It makes you want to be more productive because of the fact that you know that you have somebody that's watching. It's kind of like on your job. When your boss is gone, y'all do what y'all want to do. Y'all know it. Talk to whoever you want to, pull your cell phones out, cam, don't even post to be on the phone, cell phone, all that type of stuff. You do what you want to do. But the minute that boss walk in, everybody start putting everything up. Start acting like you're typing. You're doing what you're supposed to do. Deleting certain pages off your computer. You don't even supposed to be on. Why? Because of the fact that you know. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You know that there's a certain way that you're supposed to conduct yourself in the workplace. Just like the boss expects you to do things when he isn't watching, God expects you to do things because he's always watching. He expects you to do right because he's always watching. You don't need to just have Sunday clothes that fit right just for Sunday. You should have Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday clothes that fit right. You don't need to have a Sunday voice. You should have a weekly voice. You don't, you don't need to have a Sunday language versus a Monday language. It should be the same. This is why many of us aren't bearing fruit, because we don't know what type of fruit we want to bear. On Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we're cussing everybody else out, going to happy hour, doing what we want to do. But on Sunday, we're acting like we got it all together. You are a confused tree. You don't know if you want to grow apples or you want to grow oranges. And so as a result of it, you ain't burnt no fruit. And, and, and you might not remember this, but in the text, Jesus came across a fig tree, and he was looking for a fig, and it was bearing no fruit. And as a result of it, when he seen it, he let, like, like, curse you and die. You'll never bear anything else again. Because you can't even make up your mind. This is why you can't find joy in life. This is why you can't find peace. Because there is no peace when you're trying to live a double life. There is no peace. This is why your worship can't be perfected. Because you don't even know what you're worshiping. And so we struggle. We struggle to give God a true worship because we are not truly humble. These wise men don't only just teach us that a sign from God deserves a service from you. They don't only just teach us that true worship requires true humility. The third principle that they teach us is that your worship expresses God's worth to you. The way you worship God express how God's, what is God's worth to you. Many of us, if we really had to put our worship on a weigh scale, it wouldn't even crack a pound. It wouldn't have any substance. It wouldn't have any weight to it because of the simple fact is that we're not humble. Nor have we even given, acknowledged God that he is God and that he does what he does on the day in and day out. We think it's us. We think it's us. We walk around and parade our lives as if everything has, we made everything happen. 
truth is the only reason you have what you have, that you're able to do what you do, is because somewhere, form, fashion, God has provided for you. So these wise men, they come and they fall down, they worship Jesus. And then they do something unique. They offer him three things. The Bible says they offer him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When I see that they offer them gold, frankincense, and myrrh, what this shows me is that their worship was worth something. Their worship was worth something. It just wasn't a bunch of words. It just wasn't things said. These things are are things of substance. It costs them something, and as a result of it, they want to give. And not only do that has financial value there, but it has significant spiritual value. There's a meaning. I want to make sure that you leave here today knowing this meaning. So let's run through this. The first gift that they give him, the first gift that they give him is a gift of gold. Somebody, one of them, gives him a gift of gold. And what we come to understand, what does gold speak? How does gold speak? And what gold does, gold speaks to the person of Christ. Gold speaks to the person of Christ, the, the worship that they're giving when they're giving go, this is not talking about, hey, come and give your money to the church. This is not what this is about. Is your worship gold? When you give God the glory for the things that he has done in your life, is it gold? Do, is it worth your weight and gold? Are you saying that, God, you are an amazing God? Do, are you speaking to the person of Christ? Why, Pastor, do you say that gold is speaking to the person of Christ? I want you to understand, gold was reserved to, for elite people in biblical days, mostly kings. That's all whoever received it. Uh, people, they would collect gold. They would trade it in. It would get to the king some kind of way. They would make jewelry out of it, all type of thing. He would have a, a vault just full of gold. And so the gold represents a unique authority, a position, a class of a person. And so when we think about that the, that the Magi gave Christ gold, what they were doing, they were honoring the divinity of who God is. They were honoring the person of who Christ is. They, they understood that even though he looks like a baby and he's in flesh, he is God. He is God. And the reason why that, that speaks to me so much, because I want to begin to understand that there are some things that we look at in the natural that we think that we can explain, just like they could have explained how Mary and Joseph had a baby, and this is no different baby than anybody else's baby. But when they looked at it in the natural, they, they recognized the supernatural. In other words, yeah, this is a child, but this is not just any child. This is the child of God. See, y'all ain't never probably went hungry before. I remember sometimes hearing uh, my grandma uh, talk about when they didn't have no food in the house and they just whipped some things together and made some things happen. I remember a story of a, a grandmother, I think I heard it in a song or something, that had nothing and she just began to praise and worship God. And next thing you know, a neighbor come knock on the door and bringing her something to eat. And so the natural says, oh, my neighbor was just going to do that. But the supernatural says, I thank God for my neighbor doing that because God did it for me. I want to make sure that you understand. There are things that you're looking at it with your natural eye that is a true sign that God is alive. That is a true sign that God is not only alive, but he's working on your behalf. And the thing is that you don't care enough to worship him to a gold standard to say, God, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for showing up in my life because that's essentially what Jesus is. Jesus is a representation of God in the flesh that shows up in the life of humanity. He shows up so that he can be the ultimate price, the sacrifice for them. He shows up so that their prayers can be answered. He shows up. And so when we see God working in our lives, we should have a worship that is worth gold because we are thankful for the fact that God has shown up. I don't know about you, but there's some times in my life where I needed God, and I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't make it without Him. I was just celebrating uh, uh, just this past week. Uh, we got Christmas bonuses on my job. Amen. Thank you, job, for the Christmas bonus. I'm celebrating that. And and, and I remember a time when I used to 
a struggle with my finances. I remember a time where I used to live paycheck to paycheck. And the truth of the matter is, uh, if I slip up, I'll be right back there. But, but this time I got my paycheck and I was in my car. It had been sitting there for three days, hadn't even cashed it. That's the testimony in itself because usually you don't hold paychecks that long. Once you get them, they got to go straight to the bank. And, and so I went to the bank and I cashed my paycheck and I went to put it in my wallet. And I looked in my wallet and I still had $300 from the last paycheck still in my wallet, not to mention everything that we've already put in safe. But it put me into a point where it helped me understood that I got to thank God because, God, you have helped and brought me a mighty long way. This job isn't a job that I had to have. It's a job that you've seen fit to prepare me for. Because years ago, when I didn't even want to fool with trucks, when I didn't even want to have anything to do with transportation, you laid it on my heart to do it. Isn't it amazing how God will show up 10 years before just so it can manifest today? We think things happen overnight, but the truth of the matter is God has always been there walking by your side, always being there preparing you so you can have everything that you can possibly ever need. And so that's when I worship, I got to give them the gold. I got to give them the gold. I'm not giving them anything less. I'm not holding back. I'm not going to be a little bitty pity patter. I'm going to give them everything that he deserves. Why? Because he's worth it. He's shown up in my life, and, I, and you can tell me whatever you want to tell me about your God, but can't nobody tell me about my God. I don't have to battle with should I give God, give something to God. I don't have to battle should I give him my time, my talent, my treasure. I don't have to worry about any of that because I know that he's given me all that he could possibly give me. So when this magi brings gold, he says, listen, I honor the royalty of who's before me. I know it looks just like a baby is sitting here, but the truth of the matter is this is a king. Not just any king, but this is the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And so I bring a gift of gold. My worship acknowledges who you are, my Lord, my Savior. The second Magi comes up and he says, listen, I know he's brought a gift of gold. But Lord, I'll bring you a gift of frankincense. And what frankincense does, frankincense speaks to the position of Christ. Frankincense speaks to the position of Christ. If you don't know what frankincense is, you can basically say frankincense is like a gum. It's like a gum, and when it was burned, it, it made a sweet aroma. It, 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 it was used in the, the holiest of holiest place. It, it, it was a special fragrance that was used to honor the holy ground. And they would take a tree, and they would cut some slices in the tree, and, and these slices, the gum would begin to, to form and ooze out, and they would just cut it off, and they would use it and burn it as an incense. This is what frankincense was. And so when this magi says, I bring you a gift a frankincense, essentially what we're saying, I, I see you as holy. You're not just the king of all kings. You're not just the Lord of all lords, but you are holy, which justifies you are righteous, you are blameless, you are flawless. You are all that we should strive to be. And so I, I honor you for being holy. I honor you for your position, not just your position of authority, but your position of righteousness. Oh, if I could tell you, if you could ever get into a position where you could worship God and understand that God is holy, you, you'll reach a point where you never blame God for anything bad that has ever happened in your life. When you reach a point and you declare that God is holy, scriptures like all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord begins to make sense. Because of the simple fact that you know that God's ultimate plan is for all things to be restored to good. His ultimate plan is for what has been created good, has been, man been manipulated to bad, somehow finds its way back to being good. Restoration is the ministry that God is in. He's not in the ministry of destroying anymore. He, he's left that in the Old Testament. He, he's not in the ministry of having 
famines and plagues rule the land. That, that too was left. Everything that we're experiencing now as a result of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Roman, and, and then therefore on is all about the restoration of humanity back to its right place in a relationship with God. And so that's why when the Magi brings him uh, uh, frankincense, he brings it because he's saying, listen, you are not just a normal individual. You are holy. I don't have to be in a temple to burn this. I just need to be in your presence. You don't have to be in a church to declare the holiness of God. You just need to be in his presence. All of us should find a place that we, we dwell in on a day-to-day basis. That's his, his presence. Uh, the church should be more of a mental thing than a physical thing. Uh, if, we, if we did assess the church as a mental thing versus a physical thing, then we could mentally restrict ourselves from behaving in some unholy ways. But because of the fact that we try to separate the church as a physical place, then we think that the only thing we ought to do is, is honor God here, when we have to be willing to honor God in every aspect of our lives. So the Magi says, listen, my worship is for real. I, I thank you for being holy, and because you are holy, I too want to be holy. And so he submits to him an offering of frankincense. Then last and finally, we have gold, we have frankincense. But there's this magi that comes and he brings an offering of myrrh. And the thing about this offering of myrrh is it leads us to understand that they not only knew who he was, what he represented, but we come to understand that this myrrh, it speaks to the purpose of Christ. It speaks to the purpose of Christ because when he brings this myrrh, what we know about myrrh, myrrh is almost like embalming fluid. It, it was what they used for the dead. It, it was what they used to keep the stank out. And, and, and so when he brings this myrrh, he brings it understanding that I know that you're born a child. You'll live a righteous life but you'll die as a savior. He brings him the myrrh because he knows that yes, you're God made flesh, that you will grow up and you will be a living, walking example of how we should be, but you would die to redeem us. That you would die so that we can have everlasting life. He speaks, he worships the purpose of Christ. He worships the purpose of Christ because he knows that Christ is going to do something that he can't do. He can't redeem himself. He doesn't want to die on the cross because he can't guarantee that he's going to raise again in three days. He understands that the, the purpose of Christ is greater than one individual. And so he honors him in that moment. He says, thank you for just being who you're going to be. Thank you for being who you're going to be. When I think about these three gifts, I, I think about how God is the, the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. Go honoring that he is God. Frankincense honoring that he's God made flesh. And myrrh honoring the fact that he is the God that will be a living sacrifice. For all of us, that he was the God. He, they were being prophetic in that moment. I'm going to honor you for what you're going to do. I'm going to worship you for what you're going to do. I'm not just worshiping you for who you are. I'm not just worshiping for what you did. I'm going to worship you for what you're going to do. And so when we think about a worship, we should think about it from those three purposes. Why do we worship? I, I worship simply because who he is. He is God. He's God, whether I want to admit it or not, he's God. And so therefore, I worship and honor him for just being God. Not only do I worship and honor him for just being God, I worship and honor him for being God in my life. He's holy. 
He's righteous. He provides for me the things that only he can do. He gives me the things that I need. And as a result of that, I, I thank him for what he's doing right now, day in and day out. But I also worship him for what he's going to do. Just like they worship him for the fact that he was going to pay the price, that he was going to pave the way for them to have everything that they could possibly ever need. I worship him today because he sees something five years from now that I don't even see. I could complain about my moment right now. I could be complaining about how things ain't right. People ain't filled in the seats. I could be complaining, complaining about anything that's going wrong in my marriage, my job, my finances. I could complain about it all. But the truth of the matter is he already sees it in the future. And so why should I waste time complaining when I can spend more time worshiping? When I can begin to thank him for knowing that he's going to work it out. The process has never changed. God has always been the same. And so as we gather around and we think of the beautiful manger with the baby and the magi and the donkeys and the camel, as we gather around and we see the star, what, does it, what was the purpose of it all? What was the purpose? And if you don't see anything else in Matthew chapter 2, you see the purpose that Christ showed up was for us to be thankful, for us to, to worship, for us to acknowledge who God is. So I know that, that Target has a sale. I know that the Cowboys play at 12. But at the end of the day, we have to be willing to worship. You have to be willing to worship. If you can't worship God in spirit and in truth, if you can't reach a point where you are truly humble enough to acknowledge who God is, then the reality of it is that you're missing out on the best experience that you could possibly ever have. Life becomes a little less complicated when we worship. Worship is the best gift that each of us can give. Amen. Let me pray for you. What an amazing word from God. Listen, we thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to this message. And it's because of that that we want to extend two invitations to you. Our first invitation is if you're ever in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, for you to actually stop in and worship with us at Believer City Church. We would greatly appreciate the opportunity to get to know you better. The second thing that we would invite you to do is if you want to partner with us in ministry, this message has been able to impact your life in any way, form, or fashion. You're able to partner with us simply by going to our website at believercity.org and clicking on the Give tab and just donating whatever God allows to your heart to do so. Uh, you can also download our app by going to Google Play or the App Store and download Believer City Church. And there's ways that you can connect with us there, pray with us, give, and so many things that you can do to stay connected to the Believer City community. We thank you again for listening to this message, and we look forward to worshiping with you in the future. God bless you.